Welcome to the Nijachuan podcast. This is Isaac Kamins. Uh, this is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. This week we continue our discussion about Leo Hung Jae and his life. We talk about his final meeting with Bruce and the training they did at the end of Leo's life. That leads into a discussion about uh, spiritual martial arts and the use of meditation in martial arts. We also uh, talk a little bit about what it means to be part of a lineage and, and passing on a tradition like this, what that means in this you know kind of world these days. Uh, then we continue our discussion about the first swing. Uh, we talk about twisting in the legs and how that's used in this first swing and that leads into a larger discussion about cloud hands and qigong in general um side note uh good friend frank allen has a podcast out now which i highly encourage everyone to go check out it's called the whirling circles internal martial art podcast you can find it on most podcast platforms uh frank's a just a wealth of knowledge about bagojang and internal martial arts and a great storyteller so check that out also, our interview with Lee Birkins is up on our Patreon, so if you haven't checked that out, you should give it a listen. Uh, if you aren't a member, you can hear a sample on our YouTube page. Uh, you can get to that through our website, www.thenejachuanpodcast.com. Uh, all right. Uh, hope everybody's doing well. Take care of yourselves and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Neja Trend Podcast with Isaac and Jess. We've been continuing our journey reading Opening the Energy Gates of Your Body by B.K. Francis. Um, so at this episode, we've reached the end of the forward, uh, the author's journey in China and learning uh, Qigong practices and martial arts. Um, and now he's with teacher Liu Hongjie. Um, at this point, Liu commenced the teachings of Bagua and Xing Yi, as well as certain Qigong methodologies. This training went on for three years, seven days a week, nonstop. So it sounds like he'd recovered from some injuries and they returned to Baguan Xingyi training at that point. And uh, it sounds like they were, you know, more than likely doing, you know, things like the more advanced practices, like the later palm changes or even animals of Xingyi. It doesn't say that here, but um, I'm assuming that's where that kind of training would take place. I believe you are correct. Um, Leo filled in many gaps in Kumar's esoteric education and escorted him to places in the mind he never knew existed. So, wow, that's pretty hardcore. It sounds like they're doing a, a lot of meditating as well as these martial arts practices for, for a couple of years straight. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, what he um, <clears throat> sometimes refers to as the quote-unquote spiritual martial arts, right, where it's, it's that um, trying to do the meditative stuff at the same time with, the martial arts and in the martial arts there's a whole practice of taoist monastic stuff that's done walking and and how you can <clears throat> do that same stuff sitting or lying down or moving so or even an in um, interaction right or you know two-person interaction which would be what martial arts would fall into right of course yeah um so you know that, i think it's just a, a so he, way of looking at it. 
he often gives credit to Master Liu for teaching him about spiritual martial arts. And of course, it's part of all martial arts on some level, but this is like not just coincidentally some spirituality takes place, but it's actively training meditation and rigorous, you know, energy practices along with as much sparring and two-person technique training that you do in any other school. Um, so my impression is always that, you know, spiritual martial arts takes an extra level of enthusiasm and focus if you're really going to do it. And it's well, like Leo Hung Jae may have been the source of some of that training that he refers to there. Yeah, I think, his, you know, his specialty in a sense was the the loop of, you know, you do meditation to clear your mind to make you a better fighter. You do martial arts to for lack of a better word, stir up stuff that you might not be able to access on your own. And then you use the meditation to sort of, you know, get through it. Right. So the idea being that like, um, you may not be able to bring up enough, uh, anger on your own meditating. To, to truly really evolve it, to truly confront it, to truly get right to, to to really get to the thing that's the depth of your you know at your depth of your psyche that's causing you to be angry. But if somebody punches you in the nose, all of that <laughs> right, all of that anger is going to come right to the surface, and you're going to have this moment, and it's not a very long moment, but you're going to have a moment where if you can catch it and say, okay, I'm going to use this now to, you know jumpstart my meditation it, it it you know it can be a very powerful tool so it's it's one of the ways that using traumatic events as meditation right so you know you, there's that there's an energy involved just like there's an energy involved in a good moment of you know watching the sunset and you can meditate on that you can also meditate on damn i got punched in the face really hard just now you know and, and i want to kill this guy <laughs> Yeah, and what comes up after that? I mean, one of the things that sticks out for me is I remember, you know, getting into it with somebody one time, and I came out the victor in the in the scuffle. But then it, afterward, Bruce was like, "Well, what did you get out of it? You know, and and was it you know, sort of was it worth it?" I was like, "Of course, it wasn't worth it. It was you know, bullshit scuffle with somebody in a class. There's no reason, you know. But it's like you still in the moment, you get really worked up over these things, yeah. you know, and it's sort of like." So I think it's it's using those kinds of experience to sort of to jumpstart it or to amplify what's already there. And one more aspect that comes to mind was I remember a lot of times after we'd have a big sparring session and have a bunch of matches, we'd all end by meditating for a while afterward. And that's that's pretty basic, but that's an example of like in most martial arts, you just sort of carry on with your day after you're done with your sparring. But we made a part of spiritual martial arts is making a conscious effort to dissolve, absorb rearrange the energy that's been blasting into your system and out of it and let it all settle down and sort of, I don't know, coalesce to coagulate, to capture that, the energy of that time and not just let it fly by, but like really settle with it. And very, very few things bring you into the moment more than seeing somebody's fist flying at your head. Right. And so it's a very tangible thing, you know, when you do some sort of really intense sparring or even if you, you're not sparring and you're just practicing and it's getting, you know, you're getting really activated by what you're doing, you know, say you're walking really fast or, you know, doing a really lo long form where you're, you know, um, 
you know, you're sweating and you're getting into it or whatever. Um, to then at the end of that, spend a few minutes just sort of not just cooling down your body. Cause that's, um, that's good too, but to actually look at what is your mind doing now? Right? Like, so, you know, how, how did that last 10 minutes of, uh, bullshit combat in a gym with a friend that got your mind going to a degree that you feel a certain way right so say you get angry right in in class because you know so and so you know took a cheap shot right well on the one hand yeah they were a dick and they took a cheap shot but you also got angry at them for doing it right so the the meditation part doesn't care that they were an asshole because you know assholes exist it looks at, well, how did you react to it? Right. And so again, you know, martial arts is just a, a very, uh, unfiltered way of getting to that stuff. I mean, I think, cause I think you can use, you can use all sorts, you could use all sorts of activities. It's could just, you, you even know, use uh internet commentators as a way of design? Oh, <laughs> hell yes. I mean, you know, I think one of the reasons people like, uh, especially anonymous things on the internet is it allows you to access the deepest, darkest bits of your anger and sarcasm and, you know, whatever, and just no consequence, right? Yeah, you can finally I mean, let loose. You know, if you go out in the real world and you start calling people names and, and you know, screaming, you know, there are consequences for that. Um and, you know, I think, and that's why to me, the, the, the ultimate is, you know, people, I mean, this is a little off topic, but, you know, people arguing about chi online, right? Like, whether, I mean, forget about whether it exists or not, but like, if you're talking about, well, my way of doing chi is the right way or doing movement is the right way, you're sitting in front of a computer. So who, I mean, it's, it's all just, <laughs> ego you know there's nothing real there so. you know that just brings me to thinking about how you know in spiritual martial arts you use a uh, conflict to bring up emotions so then you dissolve them well if you're going on the internet and arguing with people you're bringing up emotions but are you dissolving them afterwards or are you just reveling in them and letting them toxify right. you and poison you because i think we're all guilty of that and i think it's just like a bar fighter who's getting in fights that's not going to help you spiritually but if you're smart yeah. with people and then meditating after your emotions rise up, that might help you spiritually. So, you know, the, the, the actions of fighting are the same, but what you do with the energy created by it is really what defines a spiritual martial arts path. And I think, you know, the more I read about Leo yeah. and Jay in Beijing, like this is the type of thing that he was talking about. This whole, whole holistic side where the, the work with the energy, the work with the mind, the work with the physical body are all meant to make you a better person, not just to make you a killing machine necessarily, yeah. you know. Right. It's a, it's a container for the internal work, right. The, the spiritual work. So, you know, uh, not to get too, you know, philosophical or whatever, but sometimes there are things you can't solve with martial arts. Right. And that it's frustrating to have no power over something, especially when you're used to having power, like, cause of doing martial arts. Right. And that could be something internal too. That could be an injury, like a back injury or, you know, like, like with Bruce, you know, when he hurt his, hurt his back in a car accident, or, you know, it could be something, uh, emotional, like a, uh, you know, a breakup or something, mm -hmm. or, 
or it could just be that you know things around you are bad and it's not because of anything you did just the world is shitty and you can't change it you know in your you know or your your ability to change it is very limited so what can you do about you can't do anything about that so you can do but you can do something about how it affects you right and so i think martial arts spiritual martial arts meditation qigong those things give you a way of it at least getting rid of some of that frustrate internal angst frustration mm -hmm. resistance tension whatever you want to call it that that builds up when you can't solve a problem and and Martial arts are like a microcosm of that because somebody's got you in a fucking wrist lock. That's a problem, you know, <laughs> and if you can get out of it, like that's a solution. Right. And so you, you, but you learn how to, you know, relax through a, a complicated situation. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's just a, it's just a way of, of when things are out of your control, at least you have some kind of a, okay, I can, at least I don't have to hurt my liver in the process of, of being aware of what's happening around me because that doesn't help. Well, just to wrap up this section, um, we've, we've come a long ways. And here at the end, uh, he speaks on his last training with Leo Hung Jae. On December 1st, 1986, Leo died one day after he finished teaching Kumar the last palm change of Bagwajang and the final level of Wustal Taiji Tren. He had passed the lineage on to Kumar. The sadness for Kumar was overwhelming. And it sounds like uh, that was a big, you know, experience for him is, is losing this teacher that he shared a lot with and who was teaching him some, you know, really old school martial arts that he's always been seeking out and going on this meditative journey. So, you know, I, I, I've never yeah. lost a teacher like that, but I can only... No, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I've lost some mentors or whatever, and that was gutting i can't even imagine you know the especially with having had that limited only you know a couple of years with him uh i think it's different you know if you've had 20 30 years with somebody sure. you, you don't feel like okay i didn't miss that much you know but mm. if, if you've had only two or three years with somebody who clearly has a lot more to teach you that you know yeah that's a real bummer um i I don't know if this is actually in any of the books, but he told me that, you know, the, the thing that he, Leo did on the last day was Leo kind of put his hand on his shoulder and just picked him up and put him down without grabbing him. You know, just sort of, <laughs> sort of sticking to him. And I think that was sort of that piece of like, okay, I can't, I don't have time to, you know, I got to go. But here's, you know, here's the, here's the little piece of it. And, you know, maybe you can figure it out on your own. Sure. And I think it was, I think it was similar with some of the meditation stuff. I mean, I think uh, there was stuff that, you know, he planted the seed for, but, you know, sure. you, can only, you can only do so much in three years. So right. I, a teacher I, can take you places in their presence. And then later it's up to you to try and yeah, replicate I mean, the same experiences. And I think, you know, one of the really like sort of cool things about the way Bruce teaches is he does sort of give you a little bit of that transmission. And if you work at it, you can carry on the little piece of it, you know? And so I think like 
part of what we're doing here. You know, it, I mean, as much as Bruce is the the conduit, it's really about the stuff that Leo brought to it with that with the spiritual martial arts that I think b b both you and I, you know, that's what we were really drawn to in Bruce was the way he would just not, I mean, just casually drop stuff that was like, whoa, wait a minute, what? You know, where, where you're like, that's crazy, you know, about this sort of internal martial art thing. And you just, you know, where, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it, it, it hits a different level than just, you know, doing techniques, you know? Absolutely. No, and I think Leo Hung Jae has always presented this really, cool figure of a super old fat, you know, super cool Chinese martial arts master, just that whole persona. And then all the teachings that he's been recorded saying are, were pretty, you know, definitely hit home for me. There seems like the man had a real depth to him. And I, I always feel like internal martial arts have a depth that keeps me interested, keeps me training, keeps me digging into it further. Cause I just keep getting rewarded. It's pretty good stuff. Yeah. I mean, the reality of it is I think we all kind of have a little bit of that, uh, you know, Hollywood sort of thing of like, yeah. you know, you're looking for the, ma the, the master with the long beard, who's going to yeah. like take you in and, you know, show you the way. And, and, uh, Bruce found that, you know, in, in Leo, at least for him, you know, and, right. and I think that it was a long journey to get there. And he, you know, it certainly didn't, doesn't sound like it was easy, but no. you know, um, very few people, I think, you know, in the West, at least at that time, were, you know, uh, could even find people like of Leo's right. level. You in know, the early where, 80s was, yeah, really hard time to access Chinese culture for performance. Well, and, and there weren't that many of those guys around. I mean, it's like, um, I think even in their heyday, there probably weren't more than 100 or 200 of these people, you know, in, at any one time in in one city. And so, like, you know, to find, you know, to go to someplace like Beijing and find somebody like Leo, uh, you know, that's, just, that would have been a real challenge. And then to get that person to actually teach you is a whole nother level. Of, right. you know, uh, yeah. No, I mean, I think it was quite a, uh, auspicious, you know, thing for him to meet Leo and, you know, by what was a big part of that for yep. sure. Um, yeah, I mean, this whole book is definitely a really inspiring journey. And, you know, Master Leo, of course, is kind of the capstone of it all. Yeah, I mean, for I mean, for me, it's like over the years, I think it's um, like I said, you know, it, it's become much more about wanting to preserve that the tradition of him and his work rather than, you know, do the form a certain way because, you know, it's it's got a brand to it or whatever. It's like, you know. It's bigger than any one person, you know. It's yeah, exactly. This is a tradition that goes deep in history, and it's not just us. It's not just him. It's not just Leo Hong Jae. It's not just any of these guys. They're part of a strain of martial arts culture in China that I find really cool. What can you say? I mean, if you either like it or you don't, some people don't dig it. Yeah. There's other sides of it. You know, that's the beauty of Chinese martial arts. There's something for everyone, literally. You know. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think, you know, you and I certainly bonded over a, you know, a common interest. And I think a lot of our friends also had, you know, kind of the same thing of, you know, the, there's that, uh, warrior priest mentality, right. Of, you know, you want the martial abilities to protect yourself, 
<clears throat> but you don't want to go around starting fights, you know. Right. You want to use it for good, and you want to. <laughs> yeah, you want to be one of the good guys, and and I think Leo really, if nothing else, you know, embodied what it was to be one of the good guys. So moving on to the Cloud Hands chapter of the Energy Gates book, um, we're still working on spiraling the upper body. Here we coordinate the arm spiral with the pivot in the quad. So at, at first you're just, you know, sort of twisting and drilling your hand up and down. Now you shift and uh, pivot inside the hip and the quad. As the waist turns, the, the arm rounds and makes an arc to accommodate the turning of the waist. We've discussed the turning of the waist a little bit previously in the previous chapter, talking about the quad, the knees, and so on. I mean, I think the only thing that I'd throw out there and say is, you know, he emphasizes here, the four points of the quad and the shoulders nest stay pointed in the same direction at all times. So in other words, you keep the cohesion of your whole waist and shoulders and don't overstretch one in coordination, you know, out of coordination with the other. You know, keep your nose and your belly button pointing the same direction. That helps guide the four points and you don't just distort yourself. In other words, Reach, trying to do it right. Don't twist the spine. Just stay within your nice little bubble. And bit by bit, you'll start to loosen up and gain flexibility inside that quad, inside that shoulder. You just have to stay comfortable and stay smooth. And bit by bit, it just energizes your torso. I talked about this before, about there's different actions that the quad can do. And so initially, right, when you're just shifting side to side, it's an up and down. And then when you turn, you're adding this folding motion in the hip. And so uh, if you think of it as a, like, a, like a hinge on a door, your leg and, and pelvis are the door frame, right? And that hinge can open in either direction, right? So you can, you can turn away from your weighted leg, you can turn towards your weighted leg. In this, it's like what he's saying is as you shift over to the side, you're also folding into that quad, right? And that motion is timed with the turning of your forearm or your hand, whatever, arm, whatever you want to call it, right? So that the, um, you know, the amount of time it takes you to turn to the side with your legs is the same amount of time it takes you to turn your hand over and that you aren't overcompensating <clears throat> for your lack of ability to turn with your waist by twisting your upper body, right? So the, the most common mistake when people start this is they can't turn their hips more than maybe 20 degrees and they just pull the shoulder to the side more. So, you know, from their solar plexus up is facing 45 degrees, but everything below it is facing, you know, 22 or less, right? And that creates this sort of torquing of the spine and you lose those four points. So having those four points lined up in a little box just keeps you from breaking the connection between your hip and your shoulders, i.e. twisting your spine, which is really easy to do um, when you, uh, first, you know, do these type of things and you aren't, uh, too aware of what your limitations are, right? Mm. Because it's way easier to twist your upper body than it is your lower body. What you can do with your shoulder, you you're, you're far less limited because you don't have anything holding it in place where your hip, you know, has this limitation. So 
you're just that's going to be the the like you know the metronome for it and you have to time the movement of the arm to what your hip is doing not try to uh catch up with what your right. upper body is doing well that that brings me to this next section here twist the leg muscles the there thigh muscles should twist in the same direction as the waist at a speed proportional to that of the arm twist so like you're saying the movement of the arm the waist the hand the more coordinated, the better, you know, and over time that, yeah. that rhythm gets into your nervous system. The key um, word there is the proportional thing, right? That, that obviously, you know, different parts of your body can move more than others, but you know, it, it's about if your arm goes 10%, your waist goes 10%. If your waist goes 15%, your arm goes 15%. Right. They all and, match. You, and, and the awareness to achieve that, sound of connection is really you know the we've talked about the six harmonies and stuff with the standing and it's it's that piece about staying keeping everything like integrated right um, i mean that's that's just a key so at the end of this paragraph he mentions a interesting little tidbit talking about the uh, wrapping of the leg muscles um and how important that is to to make sure that nothing damages the knee that the energy flows or, you know, the right. pressure goes around the knee rather than into it. Secondly, it spirals the tissue of the leg. So the spiraling energy developed in the spiraling energy body, another volume of this series, advanced Qigong, can be more readily absorbed by the body. One way to get that, you know, he'll often do in the classes is do a massage technique where you actually physically grip and, and twist back and forth the tissues of the calf and of the thigh to get those tissues to kind of wake up and get alive. And so they're not just like a block of wood, but that, that twisting, that wrapping, that spiraling, whatever you want to call it is essential to developing the spiraling energy body training where you're pulling energy out of your body through the spiral. Process. If your physical tissues are looser, right? That it's less of a challenge to twist them, right? If they're bound up, it's hard to twist them. And so it's this thing of, you know, twisting will unbind things and unbinding things will make it easier to twist. So we, re we reach the end of the chapter where he says, just go ahead and now put the movement together um, and, and do, the, do the whole complete cloud hands on both sides. Um, <clears throat> so you put it together, you shift side to side, you raise the hand each way. Um, he says, with practice, cloud hands should become one smooth movement rather than two separate movements on each side. So you get to the point where you're linking them together with fluidity. When you first do it, it's kind of clunky and there's there's sort of a start, stop, start, stop. You know, you, every time you hit the middle, you kind of pause. Eventually, you just get that it's it's a smooth flow back and forth. And so one and another thing that uh, came up in that one that I thought was of interest um, uh, this one simple cloud hands movement is the foundation for almost every movement done in Tai Chi. The additional movements of Tai Chi just serve to increase the lengthening of the tissue begun here. So this lengthening and stretching is meant to, you know, break up the congestion in the body and, and get everything loosened up and, and warmed up and reconnected and just, you know, and the final piece here, he says, uh, the name cloud hands is not exclusive to Tai Chi. The author has seen over 400 exercises in China that use the name cloud hands which is essentially a poetic term open to numerous interpretations. So the, you know, this is an exercise name that's used in a lot of different systems. So this version of cloud hands, isn't the only one and you find it. Yeah. In I mean, I think that, that there's a, 
general sense of, you know, most of them have a similar pattern of, you know, some sort of shifting side to side and the arms going up and down. But there are a lot of variations on it. Right. You know. Absolutely. No, I think that's, uh, I've seen it before in, in different systems as but well. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot of that in Tai Chi or, 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 you know, Chinese martial arts in general, where they just use these terms that are sort of, uh, you know, that they exist in culture, right. and sort of, you know, culture and stuff. So. Right. The martial art is drawing from a cultural thing that is common to all of them. You know, so if a chicken stands on its leg or, you know, hawk swoops down, you know, there's a tiger comes down from the mountain, things like that you find all over the place. I mean, the more you look in Chinese martial arts, there's so many different styles, so many different systems, much less Qigong. It's vast. You know, I don't think we here in the West really have anything, maybe different, I don't know, religions or something, but there's a multiplicity there that we don't really have here. This, the population's so large with such a long history. It's just there's so much yeah. different stuff. I mean, yeah. to me, I think I think the only the only parallel would be something like sports. Maybe that, you know you have different sports, mm-hmm. so you have sports as a concept. Yeah, that would be martial arts. Then you have like um, contact sports, mm. and you have like you know ball sports, yeah. gamey ball sports, right? Um, and then you have <clears throat> things that are um you know olympic sports right mm-hmm. so you know and and fighting sports and and there's just more classifications right so right like, so many varieties yeah almost like if we added our sports in the west to gave them another three or four hundred years then you'd be closer to what they've got you know those cultural illusions work their way in right you would start having different kinds of uh you know, football with different rules and, you know, different sets right. of different paddings or, you know, whatever, you right. just variables, right? And but, names that go down for hundreds of years rather than, you know, ours are only a couple hundred years old for the most part. So give them another four or 500 years, there would be, it would, un, it would be a lot more to unpack, you know? Well, I mean, and, you know, sports uses a lot of terms mostly from war and you know mark stuff like that but you know they true. talk about skirmishes they talk yeah, about you know, battles on the field and right. you know, all this so there's definitely a, a lot of uh uh bruce would use the term martial sublimation there right they're they're sure. they're, they're taking things from martial sports or martial arts and applying it to sports um right old-fashioned and you know that's that's fine i mean it, it, but it you know the, the 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 yeah like you said that the the vastness of the different styles of qigong is equal to the vastness of styles of martial arts right so um or you know more. What, probably more yeah right because you i mean one way to think of it you know uh from a sort of a historical context is right like that there are motions that the human body does that are good for it. Right. And if you study the body for any amount of time, you know, you, you essentially come up with the idea that a motion similar to walking, right. Or, or sort of like a cross country skiing type of motion, right. Where you have the body doing these sort of, uh, rowing is another one, right? Where you cross body connections. These type of things are good for the body because that's sort of how it was designed to move. So 
internal martial arts qigong they just have had you know a thousand years longer to to analyze how these things work so and they you know and they did it in a time when it was all done through feeling it not you know theoretical stuff that is another difference between western sports where there's a spectator aspect to it chinese martial arts sure people will always gather for a fight but like this was more utilitarian. This was there aren't a, yeah, there aren't a lot of qigong expositions. Right, people are going it's and watching. It, people you know, yeah. and it's pretty boring. I mean, even as an enthusiast, you know, one of the right. things I dread the most is when people say, "Can I show you my form?" You know, I I cringe when people say that because I'm like, "Well, is it under two minutes?" <laughs> because only, I can a, only handle that's this. About, about, that's about as how long you know that can hold my attention. You know, because um it isn't about what's happening on the outside you know and so i i think with a lot of this stuff you know the the external differences in the tai chi forms of cloud hand uh that we discussed in that episode uh the special episode we did on bob's book um which you can check out on our patreon if you haven't mm. already um we, we talk about the different you know different styles of cloud hands and the the yang style doing it one way and the wu style doing it another way and the chen ching style doing it another way but essentially they're all using the same components uh some people do shifting first and then turning some people do turning and then shifting some people do opening and closing and then you know learn about twisting some people learn about twisting then opening closing but eventually you get all the way around to all these different pieces and so cloud hands is just a a, a term for you know essentially a movement that incorporates shifting the waist turning the hips and moving the arms mm -hmm. it's about right because they, they all seem to you know that those are the three big things that they all seem to have in common some some of them have other things but you know and then any move you do in martial arts or whatever is going to contain all the same elements as cloud hands. So it's a perfect engine for whatever you techniques you want to create. Yeah. Essentially the only thing it doesn't have is picking your foot up off the ground. Hmm. Right? Okay, Unless yeah. you're doing a walking version of it. In right. Which right. Case it does have a picking your foot up off the ground. But no, you're right. right. At the most base, it, that's because it's at the most basic level. This is that, the engine you could put in any car, basically. Yeah, and this is jumping ahead a little bit, but um, in energy gates, uh, you know, the first two movements, cloud hands and the swings, your feet are stationary. In the second two movements, uh, the second and third swing, your feet move, right? You do actually have to pick your foot up off the ground. Mm. And so what these first two are doing is getting you to the point that you're stable when you got both feet on the ground, but your weight is all the way on one foot so that when it comes time to pick up your foot, it's um, stable. you can do it without losing your balance. At its most basic level, cloud hands is mimicking, you know, sort of walking. It's a funny walk, but it's walking. You know, it's, it's that sort of bipedal kind of swingy motion where, you know, one arm goes forward and your weight's on the opposite leg. And then, you know, swing in the other direction so it just it's just kind of taking that motion that we're all used to doing and refining it just drilling it down to its essentials you know 
Yeah. yeah you're, and, you're, you're, and then you take that and you turn that into the first swing, that side to side action and movement of the arms. You add some energy to it and you add some looseness to it. And that becomes the first swing, the same sort of bipedal action. You're right. Talking. So, so cloud hands develops the stability and the ability to turn your hips. And then the first swing, um, strengthens, refines, and exposes any weaknesses in the previous stuff, right? And then those two then set you up for the, you know, stuff where you actually have to pick up your foot. But like I said, that's jumping ahead a little bit. Well, that sounds like a good place to stop for now. All right, man. Good talking to you. Yeah, let's talk soon. All right, take care. Bye. Hey folks, uh, Isaac here. Just a quick couple things. Um, uh, since it seems like we're going to be staying at home for a while longer, I've added a Monday night Bagua John class on Zoom. Uh, it'll go from 6.30 to 7.30 uh, Pacific Standard Time. Uh, I'm going to cover some basics, palm changes, and some walking and some circle stuff. Uh, if you're interested in that, you can contact me directly or you can visit my website, www.watertradition.com. All right. Hope everyone's doing well. Take care of yourselves and be well.